Welcome to the Navigation Church Podcast, featuring practical and encouraging weekly messages from one of our pastors or featured guests. Make sure and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a single message. Every message is committed to helping you discover and take your next step in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, here's today's message with Pastor David Amston. Hey, welcome to Navigation Church. We're in our Christmas Miracle Series. We're going to have a very short conversation for you today. And if you've been a part of our Sunday mornings in the month of December, you will know this, that I have been writing sermons that I want to hear. And, and normally I try to have them real interactive and some takeaways. Um, but today I have a single thought for you. And I'm, in order for me to share that single thought with you, I need to tell you about an ongoing passion I've had in my life. And you're, none of you are going to love me and some of you are going to hate me. Others of you are just me like, yeah, that's who he is. There's been one passion that I've had all my life that continues to be a form of entertainment for me. And that is watching pro wrestling. Thank you. Here, here's how much, if you're new to Nav Church, give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Okay, that's how much that I feel like I've had influence here, okay? And so having said that, uh, I want to introduce to you a new friend of mine who also is a, who's becoming connected here at the church a couple weeks ago, was baptized. Aaron, if I could have you come up to join me. This is Aaron uh, Froebel, and he recently got baptized here. He is actually a professional wrestler. He's been with companies such as Impact ROI, Ring of Honor, as well as New Japan. Now, some of you are going to go, well, I didn't hear WWE. Here's the fact. He was under contract other places, and WWE didn't offer him enough. And I'll just be honest with you. Although there has been developmental deals, there has been trained, they've wanted him to come in as a trainer. Put your hands together. Welcome my new friend, Aaron, to me. So when I tell everybody you're a professional wrestler, they're thinking you've slept in your car, you've been eating potatoes. What does it mean for you? Like, what is wrestling to you? Well, first, that's absolutely something that happens with us. Um, <laughs> meaning, when you start, it's like any profession, but it's unlike any other profession. So there's definitely the trials and tribulations that you go through, and you really have to jump through hoops to get to the next level. But through wrestling, if you work hard enough and, and really put in the time, it can be very fruitful. Mm -hmm. So yes, you know, there was sleeping in cars, uh, originally from Toronto, driving all over the United States and Canada, sleeping in cars, eating cans of tuna. Um, but for me, luckily, I was able to turn it into a career. One, that until this day, it's the only job I've ever had and the only way I've ever provided for me and my family. Okay. So you didn't start last week. Definitely not. So, um, man, I started training to become a wrestler at the age of 14. I turned pro at 16, and then from then, I've been doing it ever since. And yep. that beginning was 2002. So are you comfortable standing in front of a crowd with your clothes on? Um, it's definitely more comfortable in spandex, but uh, I, I'm, I'm fine with clothes on, yes. It's a fair question. Yeah, hey, absolutely. Like you said to me, you don't have to picture everybody else naked, just you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> right, because that's Makes what you say. If you're in front of a crowd, picture everyone naked. No, he's usually just in... So, actually, 
I'll be more than happy to show you what he's normally in. Do we have a photo up there? This is Ring of Honor. Oddly enough, after we started talking and you said you were a part of Ring of Honor seven years or so ago, my brother and I, there was a show here in town, we went, and he goes, Ring of Honor, when would you go? And I, re I actually told him about the match he wrestled here seven years ago as we went to go there. So wrestling, we know that. Yes. That's who he is, but let me ask you this. Tell me about your salvation. Tell me about that relationship with Jesus. So it's a multi-step process for me. Um, I truly believe that I was touched by God the, the second I was born. And I think that that was presented to me through wrestling. But like everybody, um, especially me, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me, I'm, I'm stubborn. You know, sometimes I don't want to hear what anybody has to say, and I want to do everything alone. And I think by doing that to myself, I kind of not necessarily was lost, but I feel that I just wasn't paying attention to all the signs. And as you go through that and you feel that you can take on more and more by yourself, it just weighs you down. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's funny because my nickname in wrestling was Unbreakable. And over the last five years, it was everything felt sure. like it was trying to break me. And like I said, you kind of try to keep your chin up and chest out and take it all in. And through that, I just knew that it was impossible to do it by myself. And in February of 2021, okay. I was in Detroit with a good friend of mine who was actually a manager with me in Ring of Honor. And we were talking, and it wasn't like, it wasn't as if we were speaking to each other. It was as if somebody was speaking through us. It was just a conversation, but it was like, I knew what he was going to say, he knew what I was going to say, and the answers were flowing. But then, oh, that can't be it. I, I can do this myself. Yeah. And then you start just weighing down again. And then it was December of last year, actually Christmas Day, and that was just a day that changed my life. And I was in the car, wasn't feeling too good. You know, as I said, originally from Canada, my family's there, mm -hmm. not seeing my son as much as I would have liked on Christmas, and it was weighing on me. And I just heard God. And since then, I think that was the day that really started this and moving close to here, finding this church and being baptized here. Nice. Nice. Come on. So one more question for you, you, because you mentioned it earlier. When you say you believe that God has talked to you through wrestling, can, do you mind take two, three minutes, unpack that thought? Absolutely. So first, I'm a December baby. I actually just celebrated my birthday on the 13th. Happy birthday. So thank you. Thank Don't you. start singing. I will <laughs> shut that down. And then, so that year in 86, that Christmas, there's pictures of me sitting in the old LJN wrestling toy ring. And my cousins are playing with all their figures. And I'm actually opening up. I mean, somebody's opening it up for me because yeah, I'm a yeah. child. But uh, old wrestling figure. And my cousins were much older than me. I was the youngest in the family. So I started getting the hand-me-downs, and I started paying attention to wrestling. And I'm sure that everybody's at least heard of the name Hulk Hogan here. Yeah. yeah. Hang so, on. Hang on. Have you heard the name? <laughs> there you go. Right. That's and what you have he to do, used brother. to say, say your prayers. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'm watching wrestling, and I'm getting into it, and he's telling me to say my prayers. And he's a large man. I mean, anybody seen Hulk Hogan, he's big. But then there was Andre the Giant, seven foot two, 600 pounds, a monster. They were friends. And then he turns on him. Mm -hmm. 
And the biggest disrespect he could do to Hulk Hogan was reaching around his neck and just ripping the cross necklace off. And that, I was like, man, that, that, that's so powerful. And then through wrestling, I start paying attention to good and evil. And much like the Bible, which the entire book really is talking about good and evil and how to overcome evil and how to be good in life. And that's what wrestling is to me. That's what speaks to me. I love the superhero values of somebody trying to save somebody or reach out and speak to somebody. And through all of that, I find that now with wrestling, I see more and more of the Bible, more and more of God, more and more of Jesus, more and more of scriptures when it comes to what wrestling and its core is about. And then it's funny how it ends up speaking to you because with wrestling, I was in a car accident in March that hurt my neck, which means this could be the first time in my life that I don't uh, wrestle for a living. And then you start to search like, what am I meant to do? And through wrestling and doing smaller shows and speaking to people and just being saved and being able to speak like this, Um, I've been able to talk to other wrestlers who felt like me in their life and really now, you know, they're messaging me. As as a matter of fact, I showed you the message. Actually, I woke up. I think I have that. Yeah, and and this is the last thing that I think is important. I woke up the day after my birthday. Sorry, so late, man. Just saw the meteor shower. I have to thank you for restoring my faith in God. I've always had some kind of faith, uh, but things you said brought me back 100%. So I think it all just comes together because through wrestling, God spoke to me. And now through wrestling, I'm able to speak to other people about God and his love. That's awesome. Hey, put your hands together. That was awesome, dude. That was perfect. Thanks. What in the world does pro wrestling have to do with the Bible today? Great question. I doubt I'll answer that, but I have a feeling just maybe, just maybe. So here's what I want to tell you. I'm going to remind you that I wrote a sermon that I like to hear because I believe there's beauty in just the word. We don't have to add anything to it. We don't have to dress it up. There's just beauty in the word. Sometimes to find the beauty of the word, you have to take a step back from it and see the holistic picture of what an eternal providential God is up to. And so I want to read Luke 2, 10 through 12 for one little scripture that seems odd and out of place to me. Luke 2, verses 10 through 12, this is where the angels have just shown up, the the shepherds are in a field, and the angels said to those shepherds, Fear not, for, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ready for this? this? It seems out of place to me. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Just an odd scripture that the angels would make sure to highlight what the baby was wearing. Right? Until we go ahead and take a step back to see what I think is the personal miracle that we see. We just heard someone's personal miracle here. But now we're going to talk about these shepherds, and I believe all of us in this Christmas holiday, in this year-long celebration of our life known as Christianity that we can find. And here's what I want to start with. 
Way back in the day, there was a guy named Abraham. And yes, this is how far back we're going. You had Abraham, who from the earliest times of our Jewish faith, that then turns to our Christian heritage, you have Abraham that would make a sacrifice on this idol, on this altar, and a sacrifice was to God. We were always supposed to be trying to take care of these sins that we had as humanity. But then Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had these 12 boys. And by the way, we're like still here in Genesis, early, early in the book. And these 12 boys end up making this nation called Israel. And you may remember this because Israel was under captivity in Egypt, and a guy named Moses, and we're now at the second book, exited them, exodus out of captivity. And all of a sudden, we have this nation that wants to make God their only king, but the problem is they had some old mindsets they were dealing with, and so they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But eventually, the children of Israel were able to go into the promised land. And after they got into the promised land, the first nation they came against, Jericho, they wiped them out. But then the second nation they came into, they didn't do so much wiping because they didn't trust God on their first one. But eventually, here's, we're going to fast forward a massive book. Israel went on a winning streak for an entire generation. Everywhere they went, they lived in houses they didn't build. They ate of vineyards that they didn't plant and they drank from wells that they didn't dig. An entire generation. And this entire generation is now living in the promised land. And as they're living in the promised land, they're looking all around and they realize other nations have kings. We want a king. So the children of Israel saying, we want a king, we want a king. But then there was a prophet, Samuel at that time, going, no, you don't, no, you don't. And they're like, yes, we do. And he's like, okay, no one else is going to play with me today. And so, no, we don't, yes, we do. So Samuel said, okay, fine, if you want a king, God will give you a king. By the way, the moment you want the wrong government on top of you, this is so funny because you're going to think I'm talking about today, they're going to overtax you. We'll just stop there, but he listed a bunch of other things. And so we will go ahead and give you a king. So God gave him a king, and his name was Saul, right? Saul did great for about 14 minutes and then became a really poor king. So you had this prophet, then go over to Jesse's house, and he found a guy named, and he had a slingshot, killed a giant, throw it out there. David. We all know who King David is. So now David is now the king, eventually establishing a kingdom. And while he did it, while he was king, God gave him a blueprint for something called the tabernacle. And in this blueprint, God said, you're not allowed to build it though, because you have too much blood on your hands. But what I will let you do is get the blueprints together and all the money it's going to take to build it. David ends up dying. David's son who takes over the kingdom is a guy named Solomon. Solomon is known as the, the wisest man who's ever lived. And so now, here we are. Solomon finally builds the tabernacle of God. Ready for this? In nine, uh, between 967 and 959. Or here's another way to say it. Nearly a thousand years before Jesus ever comes, God is building a tabernacle that we're able to be with him, connect with him, and get our sins forgiven by him. And so Solomon builds this tabernacle that is beautiful. He has riches that the Queen of Sheba, different ones, would, other empires would come from far distance just to see this thing. But then Solomon, he might have been a really, really good king. He was a horrible, horrible father. Um, 
I'm not going to remember these numbers. There's a good chance. He had something like 400 wives, 600 concubines. I think my numbers are somewhat right there, but if not, read it for yourself. And if you do believe me, go read it for yourself. And so uh, after Solomon died, he had two individuals that were trying to take Rehoboam, Jeroboam, trying to take over his kingdom, and eventually the kingdom split. Ten tribes and two tribes. By the way, right now, you're looking at me going, this is the type of sermon that pastor likes? Yep, sure is. I love the history of it. And so you have this Samaritan group over here that is going to try to build their own, eventually, their own tabernacle. But then you have these two northern tribes that continue to have this tabernacle. And everything goes well when they, after they dedicated uh, in 959 B.C., they uh, all the way down to 931. Uh, there was that division, but then 586. There was such division in the land. So let's say this: for 400 years, a thousand years for Jesus, for 400 years, this tabernacle stood where people could come and they could worship, and they could make their sacrifices, and they could connect with God. But then the children of Israel, once, it began, uh, once again, became so wicked that God said, listen, I can't let you keep living like this. I, 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 anyone ever have some rebellious kids? And you can see, by the way, I'm so glad people didn't just start yelling out no before I was done with my question there. Like, and you can see that they're about to be destructive to themselves, so you punish them in order for the punishment to stop their destructive behaviors. I know we look at God and we say he's a mean, vigil, Old Testament God. Truth is, he was a loving God that wanted to try to stop our destructive behaviors. And so he allowed Babylonian captivity to come in. So the Babylonians would come in and in three different waves, starting in 586, they started pulling the children of Israel out and we actually saw the destruction of Israel. And while the children of Israel were in captivity, there was a man named Daniel who eventually became an overseer, a manager. And and when one of the kings of this Babylonian captivity had a dream, he couldn't figure out the nature of it, called Daniel. Daniel ends up coming to him and saying, listen, king, there's a statue And there's going to be four different empires that come after you. And Daniel actually prophesied all the way to the time of Jesus. And in prophesying all the way to the time of Jesus, he said, listen, king, you're horrible. And now that you're horrible, this Persian empire is going to come in and take over you. Which, by the way, like hours later they did. And the Persian Empire ended up taking over. Now you have the children of Israel, rather than being in captivity with Babylon, they're under captivity with Persia. But while they're under this Persian captivity, all of a sudden, under um, uh, uh, Zerubbabel in 538 B.C., 500 years before Jesus, this Persian Empire said, you know what, I should let you Jewish people go back home and do something. What is it he wanted them to go do? Rebuild the temple rebuild this thing that was torn down and destroyed during the Babylonian captivity. And so if you want to know more about this, go read about in Ezra, because Ezra actually prays a prayer of blessing over Zerubbabel, who's a king of an entirely different kingdom, but he realized how important this tabernacle was. So the children of Israel now in 515 BC, 500 years before Jesus, they are able to worship at this tabernacle. And it went well for about 200 years until Greece. How many have ever heard of Alexander the Great? 
Okay, so I'm telling you, I'm not making up history. This is about this time. Now you had the Grecian Empire that came in and the Hellenistic and all that. And, and right now, I'm looking at the blank faces on your faces. So I'm going to speed this up. Ready? So we went from Persia, we went from Greece, and then we eventually went to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, who was overseeing the children of Israel, they were under captivity. But you know what? The one thing through the thousand... 400 years that, we, that Israel had, had rule and reign over their, empire, uh, over their temple, but then for 600 years when they were under captivity of other people, there was one thing that was allowed to stay in place, a tabernacle. A tabernacle where the children of Israel could go, talk to God, get their sins forgiven. Now, during this time period, you had one king, Herod the Great, which, by the way, he gave himself that name. He actually rebuilt, I don't know if he did or didn't, but if you know anything about the guy who killed his wife, killed his kids, he's a horrible person, so I could see himself giving that his own moniker to himself. During that time, Herod actually rebuilt the temple again to make it beauty, beautiful and glorious, and he actually did it to boast about himself. And some really crazy things that were happening at that time. And here's one of them. They turned the tabernacle or the temple into a place of a profit-making center. Because they knew, and actually, here's what we're going to do. During the time of Jesus, nearly 2 million Jewish people would travel in order to come to this temple to make these sacrifices. And you're like, what do you mean they traveled? Well, if we just look at from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem, that journey alone was 70 miles. Which, by the way, if you're covering 20 miles a day, it was a four to five day journey. And they were expected to bring the food, they were expected to bring their housing, they were expected to bring money, they were also expected to bring the sacrifice that they were coming to the temple to make. And so during this time period, the rulers of the temple said, you know what we can do? We can make temple sacrifices easier on people by selling it here. So when they walk in the door, instead of bringing your offering, you can buy it, turn around and make the sacrifice. Jesus wasn't a big fan of this. You know how I can prove it? You know that he wasn't a big fan of this. How many have ever heard the story where Jesus came over and flipped the tables? Because he was saying, listen, this is becoming a house of sales, not a house of sacrifice. And by the way, I've been asked this question before. This is true, and I want to go ahead and clarify it. I've been asked before, are we breaking Jesus' heart because we sell coffee at the church? And we sell something we call nav navware. And let me be very clear. You do not have to drink coffee to worship Jesus, Amen. Right? Some, don't raise your hand if you agree with this, but some people would even say that it's demonic to drink coffee. Oh, I don't know why that hand went up. That's crazy. And so, no, you don't have to have, you know why we sell coffee here at the church? It's comfortable. People like it and creates a home feel. That's it. Do you know why we sell navware twice a year? Yes, it's to support our kids to go to, uh, go to their summer trip. But I also love the thought of branding, marketing, and letting you walk around with our logo on it. Why? Because some people may want to know about the greatest church in the St. Louis Metro East. I know, I know. That was cheap. That was cheap. I don't care at this point. I've been talking serious, and sometimes I just want to make you laugh. And so we don't sell stuff because it's a part of your faith. We sell stuff to hopefully enhance your faith. The temple at this time was selling stuff in order to make your faith possible. 
And so one of the things that they would sell on a regular basis were lambs for people to be able to take to the high priest and let him sacrifice. And how did they know that these lambs were good? They actually had professional shepherds out in a field that were raising these lambs. And when the lambs would be born, the shepherds would inspect them. And as the shepherds inspected them, if these lambs came out without any flaw or blemish, the shepherds would pull out swaddling clothes and wrap it around the lambs to protect it from injury or danger so the lamb could remain perfect. Why did these lambs need to remain perfect? Because one day they would grow to the point where they would be sacrificed for the sins of people. And so this very odd scriptures where the angels showed up and they could have said, do you remember what Isaiah said to you? Do you remember Hosea? Do you remember Micah? Do you remember all these prophets? They didn't say any of these things to these uneducated shepherds. They said this, you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes because there is a lamb that's going to need to be sacrificed and I've already protected it. The, the angels spoke a language that the shepherds would know. God spoke a language that a professional wrestler would know. There's a chance God can speak a language that you know. If you're in sales... If you're a CEO, CFO, if you're in the medical field, if you're an attorney, and you don't understand why people don't read the Bible the way you do, that's because you have a loving God that's willing to speak a language that he knows so that the lamb that was sacrificed, you would be able to receive. So right now, if you're like, there's people that I wish they knew about Jesus, I'm going to give you the thought. They don't need what I say because I may not speak their language. Your pastor, I'm religious. All I know how to do is talk Bible talk. I don't know if I know common everyday language because of my religious upbringing. But what if you know soccer? Right? What if you know wrestling? What if you know farming? What if you know engineering? Just maybe you can speak a language that someone else needs to hear in the language that they speak to reveal the lamb that's wrapped in swaddling clothes. The next two weeks are the easiest week to invite someone to church. See if God has a language for you to share. And then instead of being, in the side note from that, instead of being jealous of how someone else hears from God, why don't you start loving the way that he's already speaking to you in a unique language for just you to know? And that's the personal miracle that God would be willing to hold on to a tabernacle for a thousand years through at least four different empires so that a group standing in a field in the middle of the night could hear this. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. God, thank you so much for your word today. Lord, if it's a single scripture or if it's a panoramic view of a millennial, it's all beautiful. 
and it's all a miracle. So Lord, may we hear you in the language that we speak. May we speak of you in the language that you gave us. And may we be like the angels on that night, revealers of the babe in the manger. God, I thank you for our children that were in here with us today. And I say right now, we seal them to your kingdom in the name of Jesus. And if the language that we are using on a Sunday morning isn't translating, I pray that mom and dad are able to translate it. A song that they hear, a friend that they communicate, Lord, may your angelic presence, may your prophetic anointing, may your gift be to the next generation that they see you for who you are at the youngest of age. I pray for those of us that have been a part of faith, a follower of Jesus for many years, may we see a new and unique view of you this Christmas time. And rather than waking up on Christmas morning to do a tradition of opening gifts and drinking some cocoa, may we pause for a minute to know that under a star, 2,000 years ago, that you set up a 1,000 years earlier, there was a lamb born perfect. A lamb that you protected that will die for our sins. May gratitude fill our heart this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, family, it was so grateful that you are able to be here with us today. Guest, we are so appreciated that you stopped by. Please go by the Connecting Center. Absolutely, we welcome you. Please stop by our Connecting Center to get connected back there. Um, if you're looking for a Christmas gift, we have Christmas uh, books that my mother wrote a few years ago. They're going to be on sale right back by the Connecting Center also. Um, and it, I don't want you to forget on your way out, if you would like to invest uh, into giving a gift to our first responders here in the community, make sure to stop, drop something in the off receptacle on the way by. But until Christmas Eve, yep. Family Christmas Eve, kids in here with us, going to have a blowout. It's, we have wonderful, wonderful things Plan on coming here, not getting burnt by candles, but plan on candles. Uh, we are excited about our Christmas Eve service next Sunday morning at 10, 9.55. Until then, God bless. You're dismissed. Thanks again for joining us this week on the Navigation Church Podcast. We hope this message strengthened and encouraged you in the next step of your journey. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review. And if you want more information about Navigation Church or wish to connect with us in more ways, visit navchurch.org, download the Nav app in your app or Google Play Store, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and even like the Navigation Church page on Facebook. And again, make sure and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a single message. For now, know Navigation Church is always here to help you discover and take your next step in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ.